Grow Retain Podcast. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Gain, Grow, Retain. We are here on a lovely Friday in November. Uh, we are getting into cold season here in Charleston. It is like, you know, and by cold, I mean probably 40s and 50s. So, you know, the true northerners <laughs> out there are, are probably uh, griping at me. But uh, I'm excited today. We've got uh, Jake McKee, uh, who is the uh, founder of Jake McKee Consulting, uh, community-driven product development expert, and somebody who has been um, in the community realm uh, for almost 25 years, or now more than 25 years, it sounds like, uh, Jake. And so excited to have you here this morning and uh, be doing this with you on you know a frigid, uh, frigid cold day here in uh, in November. Yeah, same here. I'm sure people are laughing from uh, my my reaction to 40 degree temperature here in Austin, Texas, and uh, you know with with real real snow in Chicago right now, and you know, <laughs> yeah. who knows what else up north. But you know we're our uh, our temperatures will probably be up to 80 by this afternoon. So you know it's it's a different kind of cold. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, well, I uh, I didn't warn you about this part, but I do like to start with two icebreakers. Uh, generally something to, you know, get us to know you a little bit more um, and, you know, get, get us to know you outside of uh, your consulting work and outside of community. So um, first question I like to ask is if you were going to kind of win a category of Jeopardy. So I think like just sweep the category from top to bottom. You were going to nail every question. You were going to buzz first. Um, what would that topic be? And I'm hoping it's not going to be community related. So uh, you know, <laughs> something. Uh, give us something, but what what would it be? What would you dominate? Oh boy, that's a good question. Um, I, I mean, the first one that pops to mind is uh, is World War II history. You know, I, I love that era right. of time. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a fascinating social uh, changeover from you know, World War One to World War Two in the interim period, and you know how the world reacted to all of those events of thirty years. Uh, absolutely fascinating. So. I, I, I have a lot more uh, random knowledge of that than, you know, any one person should probably. I, uh, I, I'm with you. I, I probably don't know as much as you, but I've uh, enjoyed that time period as well. And I, I got fascinated uh, about it when HBO came out with their, like the series Band of Brothers. They also had the Pacific. Um, so I watched those um, right when they came out. I've watched them multiple times now. And uh, that got me into like a, a series of, I don't know, deep, documentaries, Wikipedia searches of just trying to, you know, understand a lot of that stuff as well. And it was, yeah, it's just fascinating. Um, some of those, those time periods. Um, so I like that. Absolutely. Well, good. and you've heard that, uh, it, well, I'll tell you two follow-ups to that. You've heard that there's a new one coming, right? Uh, no. about the, yeah, Tom Hanks and Spielberg are, are doing the, uh, the army air force. Uh, oh, wow. so yeah, the, the eighth air force, it's going to be really good. I'm sure. Um, but if it helps to to exemplify how much of a World War II history nerd I am, I have begged and pleaded the universe for years since Band of Brothers came out to do a series on the home front. Because, again, I love the whole social change that was happening and, you know, yeah. really having that sort of treatment of what was happening in, in you know, women were moving into the workforce and, you know, entire cities being covered in netting because, the, you know, they were you know, hard, hardcore factories, towns that yeah. people were trying to disguise from air you know, air raids and that sort of thing. Um, you know, all the stuff that was happening and the internments, you know, just that whole period was absolutely fascinating. Uh, so yeah, I'm, that's how much of a nerd I am about the, the era. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. There's, um, you know, there's some, some, obviously I live in Charleston. There's some history, um, around these parts, you know, and, um, there's a, a couple of, there's a couple of areas where they're, uh, they are, you know, mentioned some of the like uh, women moving into the factories to produce uh, certain things that were, you know, potentially going over to war. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's some great little spots that we've tried to find uh, kind of off the beaten path here uh, mm. where they've got, you know, some um, history to them. You can kind of read some of the memorials and some of the um, signage that they've got, they've kind of built around some of these parts. So um so, yeah. Well, as proof point, then we can move on to your second question. But uh, as proof point to my my trivia nerdery, one of the most fascinating uh, things I've heard lately is that you know, there was so much production ramp up uh, during World War II uh, in the U.S. that uh, at the end of the war, they had just warehouses and warehouses and warehouses full of surplus goods that they were just giving away as quick as they could give them away. Right. 
and uh, there's the myth of the fifty dollar Jeep that you could buy brand new. Uh, but there was there was a a stock of two million sets of you know, full sets of fake teeth that they had wow. left over. Oh my gosh! Couldn't do anything with. They produced a bunch of them just in case, and yeah. could you know they'd done everything they could think to do with them and still had two million left. So oh yeah. my gosh! Uh, that should that should prove my nerd credentials right there. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Uh, well, second question I'd like to ask is, uh, you know, what's a what's a great Sunday morning look like for uh, for Jake? You know, if you're, um, you know, we catch you two days from now, you know, in November uh, on a Sunday. What's a, what's a typical morning look like for you? What are you doing on the weekends? Um, you know, what's it what's it look like and feel like for you? Yeah, so one of my uh, one of my main hobbies is scale modeling. So I build uh, uh, you know miniature vehicles and scenes and dioramas that sort of thing. Um, so a Sunday morning often is me sort of escaping to the hobby room to uh, to build something before the before the kid events of the day get started and kicked in, uh, or before house cleaning for Sunday you know kicks in, or you know other errands or activities or whatever else might work. So uh, yeah, that's that's typically where you'd find me at a on a Sunday morning if I'm if I'm up and around early. I like it. Yeah. Um, well, I don't want to leave you hanging, so I, I'll answer both questions for you as well. Please. Uh, so don't feel left out. So um, first question about the Jeopardy category. I usually – my staple answer is like um, 90s and early 2000s, like sports. I was the kid who would uh, pick up the newspaper from my dad and actually go through and like read box scores. Like I was like – that was like when they had box scores in the paper. I was like right. scanning all that. Um, so I could kind of tell you like, I don't know, a lot of players kind of like – playoffs like from those from that kind of era of sports so i feel like i'd do pretty good nice. in that category um and then second sunday morning um yeah i'd say i i have a um son who's about a year and a half old now and so generally uh sunday mornings <laughs> for me is probably chasing him around um uh, doing something but there's a uh, kind of local coffee shop uh and we we like to make that like a a staple on the weekends uh, especially if my wife works she works in uh the medical field so she might have to work weekends so Sunday mornings, my son and I might go grab uh, a coffee, get him a little smoothie. But he likes to sit at the table. Uh, then he likes to walk around and say hi to everybody in the coffee shop. He'll just go say hi and bye. Um, so that's usually what we're, nice. we're doing these days on uh, Sunday morning. Yeah, and you're rapidly approaching at that age the uh, the, the cartoon era, you yeah. know, where you can get them to watch the cartoons you like <laughs> and you remember fondly before they yeah. get into the stuff that that they like and you're going yeah. what is this right <laughs> yeah. uh, this is that prime window yeah yeah i've been yeah i've been warned about uh the new era of like uh flippy and some other things that are coming my way and i'm like you said i'm, I'm trying to hang on to the past uh, right. I can. um well i'm excited to um to do this you know you've got uh, obviously extensive knowledge um around kind of all things community you've been around this field and um these types of uh executions now for you know 25 years and so uh, i'm curious maybe just as a, a standpoint for you do you feel like the conversation uh about communities and communities um uh, as you know really becoming something strategic in the business that you can can leverage do you feel like that conversation is has gained traction in the last couple of years you know given kind of where we've been with um the pandemic and how relationships might have changed with our customers and whatnot. Do you feel like there's a change in the conversation or do you feel like kind of community has been there um, for a number of years? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And it's one that I've been talking about a lot lately that I think that there's a, we as an industry, I think are still in a fairly uh, immature place. And I don't mean that from a, you know, from a personality standpoint, I mean that from a, from an experience standpoint, um, and that immaturity, I think, is that we still haven't really figured out how to truly embed the community principles into the business operations. Yeah. And and we're not really thinking about uh, enough. I, I, I say this broadly as, as a very big generic because there's plenty of great examples to the opposite of what I'm saying. But I think if you average it out on the, on the industry level, our industry isn't really thinking about how do we move away from community as a thing to community as as a principle right yeah. that operates ongoing embedded ingrained into the business itself 
And the, the number one place to start with that is what are the business objectives for the business, right? Yeah. That come down from the CEO that are reported to the shareholders that are what every part of the business is really paying attention to. And in 20, almost 25 years of doing this kind of work, that has consistently been a, a shortcoming um, for myself and for many others that I've seen, right? That we're not really thinking enough about um you know, beyond our own metrics and our own measurements uh, around success and, you yeah. know, in a community context, um, you know, if, I, I think we could all succeed pretty dramatically if we just set aside um, our our main reporting tool being a community set of metrics and instead a business set of metrics that happen to be driven by community data. Yeah. Right? Um, and I know it's a small distinction sometimes, and it doesn't mean we don't do community dashboards and we don't do community metrics specifically for that. We still have to know how to run it, but I think really being under, you know, clear on how we report out, how we engage with the rest of the business is extremely important, right? Uh, and you hear this, your product managers talk about this all the time, that one of their core functions, one of their main roles is not just the product piece, right? Running the product roadmap, uh, working with the product development team to keep them on track, all that sort of thing. It's also um, to engage every part of the business that's relevant. Yeah. Right. And and that is part of their function. And I've had this I've had more than one conversation in the last six, eight, ten months um with community people who have really reacted poorly when I've said part of a community manager's job is politicking. And it yeah. gets this real like, oh I'm gonna push away from that. I don't like it. It feels uncomfortable. But the reality is whatever word you might use, you know, integration to the rest of the business or politicking or whatever it might be there's a there's a requirement for good community people doing good community work with successful embedded communities to make sure that they're engaging with every part of the business that matters and some that don't maybe to yeah. the community mission um, and to the customer experience so that it is it is really bought into by all the parts of the business and you know we we talk a lot about what happens when layoffs happen is community the first to go well it is if it's easy to pick up and set aside yeah. Right. If it's so ingrained and you get the marketing team and the product team and you have a customer success team and the executive leaders going, hey, wait a minute, we can't get rid of the community because it's relevant to me. It matters to me. I've actually participated yeah. in it. I see the value. It's a lot harder to lay the team off and shut down the community. Right. Um, yeah. Because you have this full this full sense of it. So. Um, I know that's a very long answer, but you know, that's that's kind of my my current take. I think it's. I think we're getting better at that. We get better at it every year, of course, in, in a lot of ways. And, and just kind of round out the answer you asked about the pandemic. I, I think that, yeah, you know, I said since the beginning of the pandemic, when we heard a lot of people say, oh, everything's changed now. Everything's changed. It's never going to be the same again. We're in a completely different space with community. And my response was always, some things will change. And most things will go back to largely what the default human experience is. Yeah. And the default human experience is one of, you know, kind of a common way of doing business, right? And yeah. and so we have seen some things where, you know, my dinner five event that I do for senior community leaders has gone and stayed virtual because virtuals worked really well. Yeah. Right? It's because of one of the, the dynamics of that event where uh when I was doing it in person was trying to find time for people to attendees to find time to actually show up in person. It was really hard for them for a number of reasons. I think largely you know, having to do with life and what they did for yeah. a living, you know, just being exhausted with the socializing for the, for the end of the day. And also, you know, a lot of us are at an age where we have kids through, you know, your, your, your kid's age. Um, but when we went to virtual in midday instead of evening and, and in person, the attendance was, was, you know, spiked to the roof. Yeah. Now, the way that we go about managing that process is largely the same as it's ever been. Um the the way that we entice people to come, the way I market to them, or the way I recruit them, um, what we do with, during the events, you know, all that's basically the same uh, as it's always been. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's that's the you know the dynamic of a lot of community interaction right now is is in some ways that yes, there was a we had a very big gift given to us in the pandemic uh, from a community standpoint in that people saw, oh, look what we can do. Whether we've been able to capitalize and maintain that is an entirely different discussion. 
And yeah. that's more of a hit or miss, right? Some people have done really great things with that gift and yeah. other people haven't been able to translate it into, uh, into real big success. Uh, and I, you know, I hate to say the pandemic had any sort of gift, but there was a few good things that came yeah. out of that shared, shared social experience for sure. And, and I think that realization that we, everything doesn't have to be traditional in-person uh, type of activities was, was one of those. Yeah. The, a couple of things that, that stood out as you um, were talking about your answer, you know, I think there, the idea that we need to, to translate what we're doing into business outcomes. Um, I think every kind of function in the business has gone through that maturation, right? Like, I think there is this idea of like, okay, you know, almost like if you start at the very beginning of the funnel, like marketing and sales have already gone through this, but kind of years, they've got years on us, right? They've, okay, uh, marketing now is translating, you know, okay, what's, um, what are my activities into pipeline metrics, which turns into close one business, which turns into retained business, sales does the same thing, customer success. So I think like, you're right, there is this maturation that teams evolve through, which is, okay, now I'm starting to understand that, you know, the business, the, the levers of the business are generally the same, which is uh, what's, what's revenue coming in and what revenue is staying with us. And if I can then make sure I can align our story to that, like you said, like we don't want to fundamentally change what communities are doing, right? There is, there needs to be still core purposes for why they're built and it can't just be, you know, uh, kind of a revenue thing. But I think identifying and telling the pathways and the story about how you get there is what is relevant to the audience, right? Like sometimes I think we miss that, hey, when we're going up to present to executives or to leaderships or to even other teams, right? Like sometimes we have to, downplay some of what we think is important. So, Hey, we're getting this engagement in the community, or I just turned this feature on and here's what happened, or I created this program and here's what happened. And Mm -hmm. how do you, how do you help translate that for them? Right? Like the, what's in it for, what's in it for them kind of conversation. Um, So I think that's definitely something that we've noticed as well, that that evolution um, is, is happening. And I think it's, like you said, I think it's in a good direction, but the teams that seem to be getting it kind of faster are the ones that you typically start to see have more success in those businesses. And because I think what tends to happen is if you can go tell that story in the right way, then all of a sudden you get a little bit of a change, I think, from some of the teams that you mentioned. So then you get product teams that are a little bit more, it's kind of piqued their interest. Okay, well, what could I be doing through community, right? Or you get a marketing team that says, hey, um, are there champions or advocates in there that we could be talking to? You know, you get CS people saying, hey, do you think that um, we could you know, help get some best practices or content in there that our customers could learn. So I, I just feel like if you're able to tell that story better across the business, it just turns a little bit of the pushing that you have to do into slightly of a pull, um, which is where I think you want to live in a lot of times, because then, like you said, then you really get to orchestrate a lot and help other teams start to see, okay, there is benefit for you if we design the right spaces and experiences. And um, now, uh, instead of having to think about Hey, how do I hire all these resources to help me manage the community and build this team? Now you've got at least a little bit of a, Hey, we've got kind of teams that are willing to put resources to help me right now. And Mm -hmm. so I can kind of augment some of what I need with helping them. Um, I don't know. Just, I feel like it changes the dynamic and you see how when teams kind of figure out that shift, then they have that early success with that, which then kind of sets them up later for, I think some of the bigger things that they want to do. Yeah, and I'll even the, you started off uh, talking about kind of translating what we do to the audience, and I'm gonna I'm gonna politely uh, push back on that word translate for a second because I think in some ways that's part of the challenge that we've we've all suffered from, and yeah. I'm including, including myself in this over the years. I've learned this you know over you know many many uh, you know punches to the to the metaphorical face in, in this topic, right? Um, but the, the idea of translation means that we have something that's important that we're doing and it's great. We just have to help other people understand it. Yeah. And my point is as much about, um, alignment, right? That our goal isn't to build community. That's not our function. Our function is not to build community. Yeah. It's to affect business outcomes in a way that is, you know, my mantra is everybody goes home happy, Right. How do you build towards business function? Because you are an employee of a company doing yeah. a thing, right? You do have a business-focused mission to achieve. Now, the way that you go about achieving that 
is that you are really clear about what your business objectives are and you're really clear about what the goals of the community are yeah. right what is the what makes them happy what makes us happy and how do we talk openly back and forth between those two parties about what those are how do i go to the community and say we want to sell more boxes and they say cool we want better we want these kind of boxes to buy right and now you've got an alignment and they understand if you want those kind of boxes then we have to sell our boxes in order to justify the the expenditure of that that type of business right yes we can we can we can this was a my my common lego challenge right that the, the adult fans would say you know we want these really unique and interesting things and we go well that's cool but if we're not selling boxes overall i can't get the 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 executive team to say hey let's do something weird and unique for for a specific audience now you help us start selling and all of a sudden they go we really need to keep them happy. Yeah. And I say, I know. And the best way to keep them happy is to do these kind of projects that are still profitable, yeah. but they're just not as profitable, right? They, they may, they may take too much mental resource to get that return on, on the money versus these other things that get a much larger audience, but we get the larger audience by making the smaller audience happy and they create advocacy on our behalf, right? And a paid source and these other things. And I think that that's where we, we community people miss a lot of is we get so focused on, and, and honestly, in, in many ways, this I'll, I'll push back on the business world. This is a function, this is a compressing function, right? That when you say there's one person on your team, they have to do everything. Or I'll, I'll grant you a moderator so that you don't have to moderate from the beach as the director of community when you go on vacation, as, you know, as my example always is. Um, and, and we say, okay, cool. So now we've got one person running the community and one moderator, and that's a really great team, right? And we hear these stories about people having five or six or 10 people on a community team. And we're like, oh my God, this is insanity, right? Yeah. How do you even make that happen? Well, there's a good chance they've made it more than a community function, right? They've yeah. made it a how we do business function, right? That this is part of how we deliver business to customers is through a community and the community delivers back in these very specific ways that are aligned with the way we as a business talk about our goals for the year. Today's episode is sponsored by Higher Logic Vanilla. Stuck in the past with one to one engagement? With Higher Logic Vanilla, it's time to move past the status quo and go one to many. We call it scaled customer success, and it starts with community. More than just forums, community is the destination for engagement, the place where customers become champions and build stronger connections. So let's go one to many together. Visit vanilla.higherlogic.com to shake up success. Yeah. Right. And if, and if you don't have, and this is, I, I've been doing consulting for a long time and I cannot tell you how many community teams I've gone in. And the very first question I tend to ask is what's the business goals and I get community goals. And I say, no, no. What is the CEO being judged on? Yeah. What is the board judging the CEO on? Oh, I'm not really sure. Let, until we find that out, we are not going forward. Yeah. Right. Because we have some things to do in community. Those are functional, operational. They're not strategic until we understand what's going to actually push the business uh, forward, because that's what's going to get us resources, buy-in, support, connection, alignment with other teams, all that stuff. Yeah, and I think if you if you keep drawing that down, like you mentioned, right? If you if you figure out what's really the top level uh, metric that we're trying to go after, then that helps you then to prioritize what are our teams working on, right? So, like you mentioned, mm -hmm. we have limited resources, and what tends to happen is we think. Well, we, we just need to keep doing everything. We need, everything's important. You know, right. we need to have, like all, I can't, I can't possibly not do these things. Right. And, and generally that's what happens too over time is that people add things to their plate and then no one ever really thinks to ask to drop something or to move something off. <laughs> it's just typically, Hey, I'm just going right. to keep piling on. And like you said, that's where you, you tend to get into somebody who is always busy, uh, always feels like they're doing activity. And then, like you said, then when you start to ask, okay, how can we translate that activity into outcomes? Like if, if what we're doing is aligned to the outcome that we need to go drive, then there should be, then everything should be important. But then when you start to look at that list, right, you start to break that down, you start to mm -hmm. think, well, this one doesn't really help us to drive, you know, uh, new business or retained business. It doesn't really help us to drive, you know, a stronger renewal rate. Like, so we need to go correct that. So I think like to your point as well, if you start to understand that story at the top, it should, your leader, right, should then start to dictate, okay, here's how we align the resources and here's the projects that we need to be working on because that is ultimately what get, gets lined back yeah. up 
And then, like you said, that starts to help you build the plan. Um, like you said, when you start to get five to 10 people, it's not by happens chance. It's not just because you say, Hey, I'm busy. It's because you've aligned. Hey, right. we have these people doing these things, driving these outcomes. If we want to achieve, you know, more in these areas, here's where I would use those people or here's where I would use the resources or the technology, whatever else you want to go, you know, get. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like you said, I think that's oftentimes where some of the story breaks down too, is that people just um, miss that. They, they kind of just think about the activities they're doing instead of how it's actually manifesting itself into the outcome that you want. Yeah. And I'll say this, you're, I, I absolutely agree hundred percent. And I think the, the reality of that type of uh, activity or behavior, whatever you want to call it, is not a function of community people by any stretch. It is a human experience, right? When you have a resource-deprived environment, whether that's you don't have enough money to deliver what you want to deliver, you have too much work to do in the days of, you know, the hours of the day, or you don't have enough people to do the things, whatever the resources are. When you're in a resource-deprived environment, your brain tends to go to a very, very tactical level. And without specific tools, which I'll tell you one of the ones I use in a second, without very specific tools to maintain some level of strategic intent for what those tactical decisions are, every one of us, every human alive defaults to a, a, a what's in front of you, small fix uh, situation. Right. And, and that doesn't position us well when, leadership when other teams come back because they're not looking for tactics and to your point earlier you sit in front of a ceo they don't want to know what, what you just launched what feature you're adding they want to know why yeah right they don't want to know that you added four badges in gamification they want to understand that gamification is going really well which leads to this sort of business outcome which yeah. is driving this much revenue or connection or whatever the, the the valuable metric is and in order for us to improve it we are continuing to make changes here's an example yeah Right. That's a really great conversation to have with the CEO and it's fairly quick, right? You don't have to explain what gamification is. You don't have to you yeah. know, go into great detail about why gamification exists. But one of the, the tools I just mentioned, one of the ones that I've been using for years and, you know, really, really love is the OGST framework, objectives, goals, strategies, tactics. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big believer. And I've seen this time and time and time again that uh, community and non-community teams tend to go straight to the tactics. It's easy to think about. It's easy to conceptualize. And without any sort of lens to look, you know, strategic lens to look at which tactics do we do and to your point, which ones do we not do? Yeah. Um, if there's no tool in place, it's really hard, right? Yep. It's, you know, if I've got a camera with a lens that I can look through, I know exactly what I'm going to get when I look at the back of the camera, right? There's a lens that I'm looking through. Um, that helps me to adjust and focus. If I don't have a camera and I'm trying to capture a scene, I'm sitting there with a, you know, with a crayon, with a chisel and a, and a piece of stone, whatever it might be. But it's a, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's just so much harder to think about, right? The OGST framework very quickly is an objective. I want to climb Mount Everest. Uh, a goal. I want to do it. It's measurable. It's a number. I want to do it by uh, July 2025. Strategies. They're buckets of stuff, right? I've got to I've got to learn how to climb. I've got to do travel planning. I have to uh, start working out. You know, get a workout routine in place. Yeah. Uh, I have to figure out my job situation. Right. Those are big buckets of things. And then the tactics are, you know, underneath. I got to learn how to climb. I got to. They're, they're specifics, right? I got to call a place. I got to sign up. Yeah. I got to go and do that five times a week. Right. When it's when we get overwhelmed. And most community teams, most of the time, are absolutely overwhelmed. We go straight to the easy stuff. I've got to call and make an appointment. Do you? You already know how to climb. Do you really need to, you know, or, or do you need to buddy up, right? What, what is the tactic, really? So if you've got that OGST framework in place or something similar, there's there's tons of stuff like that. And you've got that hanging up on your on the wall next to your desk. Yep. And you say to yourself, somebody comes, whether it's yourself, one of your teammates, one of your executives comes and says, hey, we need to add a tactic. You go, cool. How does that flow? How does that address the objective? How can we measure it? Which strategy bucket does it actually fit into? Oh, it doesn't fit. Do we need to add another one? If we add another one, we've got to add resources, right? It becomes this very objective look at 
what can sometimes be a very emotionally charged set of conversations, right? Yeah. It's not me saying I can't do it. It's this document, right? Yeah. And, and it's a document that hopefully was built in combination with all your business partners. Yeah. Right. And, and so they've all kind of bought into it as well. But, you know, that, that type of framing is really important. I think, again, that goes back to that maturity, uh, you know, and on the marketing team, they, they are so embedded that they don't have those conversations um, about translating what marketing is to make it justified. It's built in that yeah. in order to do X, we have to do Y and everybody's agreed on that long enough that we don't debate it anymore. Yeah. Your point too, just about building that with others, right? Like that's also where you start to see that trigger flip uh the, yeah trigger flip i don't even know what i'm trying to say that uh, <laughs> you start to see the the, the switch flip there you uh, go where uh where then you're like you said you're like you said maybe the uh our business outcome right is to retain customers we want to hit a certain renewal rate this year and we think like you said there's a strategy within community that we think can get there um and one of those strategies actually involves maybe onboarding faster. Like we need to help our customers onboard faster and there's tactics within the community that we can help do that, right? So you can start right, to see how your, like you said, your, when you start to change that conversation, it becomes the business outcome, which is we need to onboard customers faster. And it just so happens that community has certain ways that we can help the onboarding or enablement or services teams right. do that. And that's where, like you said, that's where you start to really see that transition because like you said, now I'm not having to translate as much, right? I'm Hey, we're going to the same goal here. It's just that mm -hmm. my tactics might be slightly different than what an onboarding specialist is doing, you know, in terms of building their project plan and getting on a call with the customer. We're doing it, but we're doing it through community-led programs. And, you know, there's a way that we can we can help um, uh, that outcome for the business, which, again, we onboard customers better. We all right. believe that that hypothesis means that we're going to retain customers uh, for longer than a year, you know? So, um, uh, so yeah, I love that well, idea of that framework, too. Yeah, and one other little little tidbit here that I always like to talk about is the shiny object syndrome that every CEO I've ever met in my entire life, in my entire experience of doing work with CEOs, and it's a lot, every single one of them has had a shiny object that they love, whether it's, you know, building houses in Honduras or whether it's, you know, solving homelessness or, you know, that they really love, uh, you know, financial debates or whatever it is there's something that really you know outside the scope of work really motivates them um but that same thing is true inside the the business as well there's something that really gets to them something that really fires them up and not just ceos you know every senior executive um, and finding what that thing is both on the personal side and the business side and being able to speak to that to in, you know intertwine that is really critical and it's really funny, uh, you know, I was a partner at PwC for, for a long time. And uh, when we'd go in rooms, we'd be in rooms with, you know, the CEO of Verizon and, the, you know, his four uh, SVPs right under him, right? And all of them had some very particular thing. And the, you could always tell from probably the first question they'd ask you after you presented, but often maybe the second, right? Yeah. But it was really, it was right away. There was no question about what where their angle was. Yeah. And you know, trying to understand that, trying to listen for that, trying to be prepared to answer those kinds of shiny object questions. Um, and, you know, on the personal side, being able to tap into what's, what's really motivating to them, right? Yeah. If they are, especially from as community people, this is something we should be really good at by and large. If the CEOs, uh, you know, spends, you know, half of the summer every year in Honduras building houses for uh, underprivileged Hondurans, Understand that. How do you work that in? How do you talk about that as a community? That is a type of social experience, right? How do you compare that to what your community, your business community is doing and needs and, you know, really connect those things? That's the translation part, right? It's about understanding what how they understand messages and translating yeah. your language into their language, not about having to really take what you're doing on your own independently and justify it, yeah. right? Because if you're trying to say, oh, there's this great thing happening, I'm going to shove it at you until you accept it, which is happens a lot. And again, I found I, I'm, I'm not saying I haven't done this stuff before in my past either. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, I'm just trying to get get to the point where I'm not doing it as much anymore. But, uh, you know, if you're taking the what the community is doing and kind of shoving it at the rest of the, the company instead of really understanding what they want and helping 
convince them to pull you in because they're going, oh, wait a minute. That's I, now I'm understanding how that relates to me. Yeah. This isn't just, you know, if you talk to a marketing person and, you know, hey, I want you to be more engaged or I want you to help support these events. It's not a conversation of just siphoning off money out of their budgets and into yours. And if it is, which a lot of people might start there and how they're presenting and also how they're receiving, um, then you've already failed. Yeah. If you get to the point where you understand that the marketing team is having a problem with, uh, you know, activation at the events, and you start talking about how you you know if you do certain things you could get fan volunteers to show up and do really cool stuff and that leads to better activation then okay great this is this is where that conversation needs to be and all of a sudden it's not about just siphoning off money it's about really helping to benefit what they really need out of this process but you know those those are that's the that's the politicking to go all the way back around to that point right that's yeah. the 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 connection that you're trying to make with your colleagues to really understand those things because you don't it's hard to to pitch community value and of course you know as i'm saying this i'm sure everybody on the podcast listening who's who's running communities or is managing communities is is saying well yeah but i don't have time for that i get it but you got to find it somewhere you got to find it somehow you know and you, this is where you go back to the strategic lens of where am i spending my time and how much is actually relevant yeah and you know the to put a bow on what uh, you just talked about there too, like that that is a, a big part of change management, right? Is helping to bring people through that change, and like you said, not shoving it at them, but making them feel like they're a part of it. Like you said, what better right. way to bring them to make it make them feel like they're a part of it than relating to what they care about, what they are thinking, how they kind of you know how they like to receive messages. Like that's how you start to get them on board. Like you said, again. I think I just like to think about that little motion where, you know, you've had to do some pushing. And then once you start to get that message right, and you start to bring them along in that change management. Like you said, you start mentioning the outcomes of the business. Then all of a sudden you're going to start to see a little bit of a pull. Oh, um, hey, should we should we be looking in the community for advocates to talk at our next conference? Or, should, hey, should we be yeah, like then it starts to change the dynamic of what you're doing? Um before we and it can be hard uh you know one of the things that, that you you know, your your intro uh about me uh focusing a lot on community driven product development you know this idea of of taking your uh community voice which is different than voice of a customer voice of the customer is traditionally a, a research data oriented you know surveying type activity yeah. um the the community voice as i talk about it is you know really the the engagement, the activity, the actual in, interaction with real people. How do you take that that community voice and stick it into the right uh, parts of the product development process at the right times, right? So it's yeah. uh, the right people, the right timing, the right ask of, of those community members and uh, the right outcome, right? How do you figure out what those things are? And in that process of community-driven product development, very often, there's a lot of resistance from product teams, for instance, or product managers to do that. And, you know, there's there's nothing they can add. We've already got this. We do voice of the customer. What's how is this better, or different? Um, until they see people reacting in real time. Yeah. And until they understand that there is value that comes from, um, you know, people who don't have as much experience as they do with this particular product development process reacting to it and reacting to it in a kind loving way but in an honest way right uh, a community member saying yeah i'm not really a big fan of that or you gave me a test product and i tried to use it and it didn't work right and and see there's a there's a connection there but that that process takes work right that is the job that is the community management function is to try and figure out how to convince the product managers just give me a chance yeah just try it once try this one small thing in order to get those insights, which then grow into bigger things, right? A, a huge part of what I what I help uh, product and community teams do on the on the product development side is finding those right set of activities to just try it. Let me show you how good this can be, and figuring out what that right balance of of size and immediacy is to get past whatever you know resistance they may have. Um, because I have yet to have a product team fully resist forever. Yeah, yeah. I've had almost all of them resist up front, right? Yeah. In some form or fashion, right? And finding the ways to, to really put real people in front of those those product teams and say, look, here's a community member, here's what they're doing, or here's a small group of community members. They have great ideas. And you doing the work to choose the exact right people 
help get them up to speed a little bit, not not bias them, but just get them prepared. Yeah. Um, and create good, good, fun activities and, and, and interactions that are fun for both both sides, right? Yeah, yeah. It goes home happy. Uh, but then lead to this idea of like, oh, okay, cool. This is, I've broken through the, 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 the hard exterior and now we're into the soft gooey center of awesomeness, right? Yeah. Uh, this is really cool. I want more of this, but you know, that, that is part of the job of community management. It's not just to run the group once they're there. Right. Yeah. And it's not just to, uh, throw up some product ideation and say, well, here you go. There's a list <laughs> of ideas, right? Um, and I right. think you give us your ideas, everybody else will rate them and then we'll decide whether to do them or not. And you'll never hear from us again. Yeah. Um, uh, but like, and to your point, though, that the way I like you're talking about this kind of uh, community driven product development is you're also the, the product team typically already has processes that they have. Right. And they're generally if you look at product and engineering teams, they're probably the most processed people inside of the business. And so, like you said, understanding that lens, like, OK, they have processes they like to follow. They have steps of, a you know, hey, here's what we do. Right. Here's the process we go through. And if you can start to understand those things, like you said, then it helps you to better align and position, okay, hey, have you thought about, you know, maybe there's an ideation stage that you all are in, or hey, you're prepping, you know, the roadmap for Q2 right now, you know, you've already, you've already thought about Q1, now you're in Q2, great. Um, have you thought about in this ideation phase right now, maybe, maybe I can introduce, you know, a series of customers, like you said, I can bring in th these types of groups or this type of environment, but we could insert it then. So even thinking about how to insert yourself into processes that already exist is also a, a great way to think about it. Like you said, it's less just shoving it at them and saying, Hey, do you think right. in this stage or this function or this meeting that you already are going to do, uh, or that process or stage, do you think we could do this? Right. And that's, that's how you start to also, I think, kind of get them open to that idea because you're not trying to circumvent the process and say, Hey, I need you to go off course or I need you to come over here for, you know, something for a period of time that's going to throw them off of what they typically do. Right. Well, and I'll even go a step further in the, in the CDPD world, community-driven product development. Um, the, the only way to work with those teams is within their existing processes, because there's no value in saying, Hey, I've got community members. I'm going to shove them in and, you know, and sort of attack you with, with uh, input. Right. Um, the goal is to say, what is your process? How do you do things? And where are you, where are you coming up short? Where could you have, val have value? And then again, the right people, right timing, right ask, right outcome. Yeah. Right? Because the right people may be three representative leaders in, in a discussion around roadmap, right? Or a, an early ideation phase, right? Where the product team has already thought a little bit about it, yeah. about whatever the thing is, right? Whatever it is from a product standpoint, product or service technology, physical, whatever. They may have already had some ideas, but before they get too far down in road mapping, they might just want to test it. So they get three people in from the community that are that are representative voices, yeah. and leaders in the community, that they can run those things past. And then they go, okay, cool. Thank you. Appreciate that. Now we're going to go create a roadmap and we're going to start working on prototyping or concepting even. You know, And the concepting, you bring in 10 people. And you get a sense of, you know, on the paper mock-ups, how does this feel? What, you know, and again, it's not the two-way mirror room. Yeah. Right? This isn't data-oriented. It's not, does this work functionally? Do they understand where the buttons on the screen are? No, that's also important work. It's just not what we're talking about here. We're talking about getting people involved in, in that process because the best thing that comes out of processes like that is advocacy. Yeah. Post-launch advocacy. Because really what you're doing at worst case scenario, you get nothing out yeah. of the product development process. They add nothing. And that has never happened in my experience once, but for for today, we'll say yeah. maybe that happens sometime. What you do get is a bunch of people who have been part of this process. And as my, I have to pay royalty to my old business partner, Sean O'Driscoll for coming up with this one, but he always talked about the ugly baby. Everybody's seen an ugly baby. Nobody's had an ugly baby, right? <laughs> and when it's mine, I protect it. I love it. I care for it. And it is beautiful no yeah. matter what. And so when you get the community involved through representative voices, through consecutively larger groups of people, uh, then when you, when you launch, you've got advocacy built in, you've got credibility yeah. built in, you've got promotion built in, you've got enthusiasm built in, but you can't just show up. And this is where a lot of people you know, on the, with a marketing mentality fail is that they show up at the very last minute when the products is baked and they say, cool, how do we get people excited to talk about it? 
well, it'd be nice if we had started a little earlier so that there was a yeah. real connection there, right? Uh, and we did that with you know one of my favorite projects of all time was years back when when Lego Mindstorms, uh, the robotics uh, product, yeah. was going from version one to version two, and the, there was ten years in between when version one launched and when version two was going to launch. Oh wow! For a technology project, you can imagine how outdated it was. Yeah. But we also had a huge community of people that had spent thousands of dollars to buy all kinds of parts and components, right? And spent years and years hacking and learning and you know creating. And so one of the number one things as a community thing that I was worried about is when we launched that there would be a huge backlash because yeah. nothing was backwards compatible. It was too, it was vastly too complex to do that for a product of that price point. And I said to the product team and the marketing team, if we launch to one of the biggest users of this with a lack of, of enthusiasm and credibility, we're going to, we're going to be hurting on the sales side. And they both said, well, then, okay, that's fair. How do we solve it? So I said, let me pick four people from the community, representative voices, good people you can work with, people you'll enjoy hanging out with. And let me insert them into the product development process. And so we did. It took me three months to, to find and sort of pick those right four people. Yeah. And the product team went into it thinking, I mean, they don't really have much to offer to us, but hey, if it's part of what's going to make the product successful, fine, we'll do it. We'll entertain you, right? And before you know it, the person that represented the hardware side of things, he was given really great hardware ideas and even like sketching up schematics to say, hey, what do you think of this? The, the person that represented the software side was saying, hey, I, here's really great ideas. And maybe here's some, some way, you know, some prototypes of how that feature might work. Right? The person who was doing events was talking about really great amounts of events. Like It, it was really clearly connected to yeah. what the product team was doing. And all of a sudden, they were like, this is great. They ended up asking me to add five more people to the team. Right, We had a team of nine. And when the product launched, there was but, but a tiny whimper of complaint about not being backwards compatibility because so many people said, well, I don't like it, but if John and Ralph and Steve and Dave were involved – yeah, I trust them. They represent me. They must have done the best they could. What do you got? Let's talk about it. Let's yeah, buy it. Yeah. Right. And and that's the that's this advocacy piece that is, needs to be a huge part of why you do these products and projects in the first place. Yeah. Oh man, I love that. That that like gets me excited too. Just because, like you were saying, like <laughs> you um you always hope for those moments, right, where you get people who then just go champion it as if they it was their mm -hmm. own, right? Like now you have nine people. Uh, that are on the message boards that are in the spaces that we don't even know about as a company talking mm -hmm. about it, you know, saying things, saying positive things, trying to limit what people are saying, you know, like that's, that is like the, the key about how you start to unlock some of those things. So, um, yeah, as you said, how do you, the, this question comes up all the time. I hear it from marketers, product developers, executives, every you know, community people, everybody, how do we get them to make it, make, make them act or respond as, as though it's their own product? Yeah make it their own product, yeah, yeah. get them involved in a, in a way and in a timing that makes it clear that they were there from the beginning, whatever that means, right? Every project is different. That's why, you know, the work I do is looking at that, the product, the team, the reality, the community that exists, the customer base that exists. What do we do there to make it feel like it's their own, right? Yeah. So when it launches, I'm inclined and interested and excited about advocating on behalf of that product. But I'm not going to do it if you come to me right before you launch and say, I think you'll really like this that we've spent the last three years working on. Yeah. Cool. I might buy it, but I'm not going to advocate for it. Yeah. Very different. Um, well, Jake, uh, I know the signs of a good podcast is when we, uh, we, we <laughs> go over time and we start to, uh, to keep going. So before uh, I commandeer your whole day, uh, appreciate you doing this. You know, I think uh, yeah, this is fun. super fun to navigate just the early part of the conversation we talked about, you know, was kind of community and the maturation that it's going through, um, how you start to really make sure that it's aligned to business outcomes and start to translate that. I think in the middle, uh, talked a little bit uh, even more about the um, frameworks that you can use to make sure your objectives line up all the way down through tactics. And again, um, I think just making sure community teams are really trying to um, have that story concrete on the way through, right? Like that's how you're going to um, make sure that people are involved in the community uh, and it's a part of the business. And then the third, just talking um, about, you know, that methodology around community-driven product development. 
um, something that you're passionate about. I know you do with a lot of teams. So um, super fun conversation for me. Um, jotted down a ton of notes. Uh, appreciate doing this. If people want to find you, more about you, what you're doing, uh, where's the best place for them to do that? Yeah, I'll give you a couple of URLs. I first have to say, very impressive recap. I was having so much fun that uh, I'd forgotten the first part of the conversation. So I'm glad you brought back those, those sort of three areas we touched on. Thank you for that. And thank you for having me as well. Uh, best way to find me is on my, my website, nice and easy, jakemckee.com. Um, and uh, if you're interested, if you're a senior community professional or a highly experienced community professional that's uh, uh, working in community or running a community, um, I do this Dinner 5 event, uh, jakemckee.com slash Dinner 5. Uh, it's a five-person, once-a-month virtual event, uh, you know, connection, camaraderie, and conversation. Just a real fun cone of silence conversation with peers. Um, and then if you're interested in the community-driven uh, product development side of things, uh, also nice and simple, jakemckee.com slash cdpd. Uh, gives you a bit more information about kind of my methodology and my approach, but uh, lots of contact buttons on the site too. So if you want to reach out, feel free to, to drop me a line. Uh, my email's also easy, jake at jakemckee.com. Awesome. And we'll make sure and uh, link all those in the show notes, make it easy for everybody to do that. But uh, appreciate your time in doing this. I feel like uh, there could be a second episode at some point in the near future. Just uh, Hey, let me know when. I'm happy to do it. Awesome. Uh, well, hope you have a good weekend and uh, we'll catch you next time, Jake. Thank you. Sounds good. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Jay here. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. You know, this started as a labor of love for Jeff and I a couple of years ago, and it's really turned into a movement around customer success and community, and we couldn't be more thrilled to be a part of it. Um, we grow this by word of mouth, so we'd, we'd love it if you're willing and you find value in what you hear on this podcast. Leave us a rating or a review on, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It'll help us grow and, and provide value to more customer success professionals. Also, if you haven't yet, please sign up for Gain, Grow, Retain, the online community. It's gaingrowretain.com. You can meet other people, make one-on-one -on -one connections, share ideas, get ideas, grow your career ultimately. Um, be on the lookout also for live events, both in person and virtual this year. We're excited to get back to that. And thanks for being part of the community. We look forward to talking to you soon.